0: Brittany and I are not doctors, dietitians, mental health professionals, experts on endometriosis, or any kind of qualified medical professional. So that means that none of the information we share on this podcast is medical or mental health advice. If
1: you get inspired by something we say, always consult your qualified medical professional
0: first before making any changes. Today we're going to talk about some tips and solutions for IBS bowel disturbances, and bowel fun. Brittany and I are pretty good friends with IBS. Yes, our bowels are very irritable. Wouldn't your bowel be irritated, Brittany, if it was covered with endometriosis? Irritable, irritated, irritating. (laughs) Yes. So you don't need to have endometriosis on your bowel in order to have bowel disturbances, bowel problems, IBS. So lucky. On the last episode, we gave a really long list of reasons why you could have bowel disturbances with endometriosis without having endometriosis on your bowel. So definitely check that out. That was like a part one of this episode. This is the part two, which we're going to talk about tips and potential solutions to these bowel problems. So a lot of this information is hinging off of the previous episode. So I definitely recommend you check that out before listening to this one.
1: So I'm sure right now a good number of us are constipated. And I'm sure also another number of us are currently having diarrhea. So there could be a time pre-period you're constipated and the rest of the month it's diarrhea. That's my life. Are you talking directly to me right now? I'm talking to everybody who has the same problem. (laughs) Some people it's just random constipation in the middle of the month and then just diarrhea for the rest of it. You never really know which
0: combination you're going to get. So really what you're saying, Brittany, is that a lot of us are having trouble in the bathroom. Okay, for everyone listening, raise your hand if you're going to the bathroom perfectly and you don't have these problems. What do I mean by perfectly? Your poo's just coming out simple and easy, no straining, but conversely, no rushing to the toilet and almost not making it. Maybe you're going like one, two times a day. It's a very satisfied feeling when you have a bowel movement. Anyone? Any hands up?
1: Since you guys aren't in the box with us, you can't tell that neither of our hands are up. And since we're not at home with you, we can't tell that probably yours isn't either. (laughs) But if it is... I am so happy for you. Oh, my God. So Congratulations. Please. A round of applause for oh. anyone with their hands up. Give yourself a pat on the back and say, good job, pals. Good job.
0: Because <laughs> you're doing something right. You're doing
1: it. I love it. I'm so proud of you.
0: <laughs> but for everyone who does not have their hands up.
1: Which is most of us.
0: And Brittany and I included. <laughs> there's hope. So don't be discouraged. So the first thing we want to mention is excision surgery. And we know that not everyone has access to excision surgery, but we think it's still important to mention this so that we're aware that this is a treatment option and we're aware that this is the gold standard for treatment. If we're able to have excision, I think that this is a really big step in our endo journey because then we're actually removing the endometriosis from our bodies at the root. So as Amy mentioned, excision surgery
1: is considered the gold standard, and it's considered that because statistically, it's shown to have massive improvements on the symptoms of endometriosis. So the Center of Endometriosis Care lists on their website that they do a post-op follow-up questionnaire, which we've mentioned before, and it's really cool because they do this with their patients yearly. Based on these reports, they say that, and this is a direct quote from them, There's an 80% reduction in most bowel symptoms. Of the more than 1,000 patients in our database, only 3-7% to continue to have more severe episodes of painful bowel movements, constipation, or intestinal cramping. Diarrhea, which was present in 63% of our endometriosis patients, is only significant in 13% following surgery. End quote from 63% to 13% shows statistically a massive improvement
0: in just the symptom of diarrhea alone. Those statistics are incredible. I mean, to have excision surgery and have an 80% reduction in bowel symptoms among their patients at the Center for Endometriosis, that's just remarkable. And excision usually helps with digestive disturbances because If you think about excision, I mean, you're removing endometriosis lesions that are irritating the bowels. You're removing endometriosis lesions that are pulling on the bowels or even growing directly on the bowels. And we talked in the last episode about how endometriosis lesions, even if they're not on the bowels, can affect our bowel function because of all the prostaglandins and the tumor necrosis factor. My favorite. (laughs) (laughs) And the inflammation that endometriosis causes. So if you are interested in having excision surgery and you don't know how to find an excision specialist or where to start, we definitely recommend that you check out the resources on our website because we have a very comprehensive overview there of how to find a surgeon. And Brittany and I previously have done episodes on bowel endometriosis and what effectively treats endometriosis, and we talk in detail about excision surgery in those episodes. So definitely check them out if you're looking for more information on that.
1: So even if you are able to have excision surgery, there can be so many reasons and cofactors going into why you have digestive problems or bowel disturbances. You may still need to work on several of the things that we're about to mention in order to improve symptoms or maintain feeling well, even after surgery.
0: And we want to mention that even if you don't have access to excision surgery, and if that is the case, then we really hope that you'll be able to have access and find a doctor in your area who's affordable, hopefully under your insurance. I mean, there's a lot of hurdles for many of us when it comes to having excision surgery. But even if you're not able to have excision surgery, there are other ways to take back control over your digestive disturbances. And there are other things that you can do. All the next tips are going to go into that. And that's why I just wanted to mention excision first, because it is a really big step. But as Brittany said, it's not the only step. It's not the only thing that we can do. So there's still hope even if we cannot have excision. So, the second thing you can do is changing your diet.
1: Yay, changing my diet. <laughs> Easier said than done. <laughs> well, diet change is, I think, one of the most difficult, but also most empowering things that can be done on a journey towards feeling better, especially with your bowel. Diet changes not only make our bowel feel better, but they also affect our health in so many other ways. For me, I noticed improvements in my anxiety and my energy. And just all around other things that feeling sick all the time brought to me. I think one of the toughest parts about talking about diet change and what we eat and how we eat is that it's not something that's really discussed in the medical system. It's not really seen as something that is a part of treatment. So, Amy, I know you've had lots of diarrhea in your life. Some would
0: say that I have, some would say. Too much diarrhea that, that, That's just my normal.
1: So when you were very, very sick and having diarrhea 35 times a day. 25. Oh, wow. Oh, sorry. Overshot. 25. So much less. <laughs>
0: Don't exaggerate, Brittany. People it was are not, only 25. People are not going to believe that I had diarrhea 35 times a day. So testing, when you had diarrhea 25.
1: 25 times a Get day. Get it right. Thank you. And you went to the doctor. Oh, yes. Many what did, doctors. What several. did they do
0: for you? What do they do? Well, they did a lot of tests, a colonoscopy, a endoscopy, a stool sample, a barium shake drink x-ray thing. I forgot the official name for it. Allergy tests. They did a lot and multiple doctors did that just in case the previous doctor didn't, you know, get accurate results or miss something, something like that. And all of those things are super valid for sure, because they realized I didn't have Crohns or colitis or allergies, they realized that all the things that I didn't have they ruled everything out,
1: <laughs> but they never even entered into a conversation with you about what you were intaking, did they?
0: No, they were always like, "Oh, well, your insides look great, literally <laughs> your insides Thanks. look great okay well i I'm, I'm still pooing twenty five times a day." I'm, <laughs> Yeah. Like I can literally not hold my poo in. And yeah. And then they would say things like, well, you should eat more fiber so I can be constipated instead. (laughs) Which, by the way, we're going to talk about the good old recommendation. You should eat more fiber a little further on this episode. So the blanket recommendation, the blanket fiber. But they would be like, oh, you should eat more fiber or you should go on these pills that can help with your diarrhea, but have a lot of side effects. Like they make you really dizzy or you can't be in the sun or your eyes are really sensitive. But in no moment did they ever, not one time, talk to me about what I was eating. Not once. Like never. Like, what if I had been eating jalapenos every single day? I mean, that stuff can give you diarrhea. You'd be having fire diarrhea. I think
1: you might be able to tell there was a problem with that one. Like, now i have been having diarrhea, but it, like, really, it really burns. burns
0: in my rectum. They'd be like, like oh, okay. We can okay. see your skin is wearing away. The burning. Okay, so burning rectum. Is that a symptom? Yes. Burning rectum.
1: Writes that down on clipboard. Fire butt. <laughs> So in all that time and all those doctors, nothing was able to trigger understanding that food affected how you felt. So what happened for you that triggered that aha moment? Oh, my God, Brittany, I feel like I'm being interviewed. (laughs) You are. You're so important. I feel like
0: I'm being interviewed by Oprah.
1: Oh, well, thank you. I'm
0: Oprah. What was the most poignant (laughs) moment of your life? The dramatic, life-changing, transformative (laughs) moment. Well... A long time ago and back in 2004. Oh my gosh, so long ago. It was long ago. (laughs) Back in 2004, I was 19 years old. I'd been having diarrhea about 25 times a day for over two years. And I went to Goodwill. And in the book section, I found a book that was about your health. And it was 50 cents. And I bought it in a serendipitous, coincidental moment of fate. Oprah. (laughs) yes tell me more amy anyways i brought that book home and i opened it and it was all like what you eat affects how you feel it basically gave a template for eating to help you because i was battling a lot of chronic fatigue at that time and it gave you a template for eating basically like following the paleo diet so I instantly followed that diet. So it was like, well, why not? And Try then, anything. Yeah. Why not? Yeah. Nothing. I mean, it's like two years in, I was looking at even dropping out of college at that time to take a medical withdrawal because I was so sick. Within doing that, within like a week, my diarrhea was about cut in half. And within a month, I mean, I was still having diarrhea, but it was only like four times a day. And then, yeah, within like six months, I mean, as time went down, it just kept the diarrhea just kept going down and going down. And I was like, oh my God, food is so powerful. And you might be listening. You might be like, well, duh. (laughs) You know, it's like, duh. It's 2019. Everybody know that. (laughs) But maybe we don't know that. I certainly didn't know that at that time until I'd actually lived it for myself and I'd actually be in learning about it. And I feel like now we more openly talk about this, like it's more openly known and when you go online or in social media, like a lot of people are talking about how diet affects you in a food. But I think back in 2004, like the information was not readily available. And it was frustrating because I'm like, wow, I have all these bowel problems. And the solution was as simple. <laughs> yeah, not that simple. <laughs> yeah, right. I mean, it sounds simple, like change your diet. So the solution was, quote unquote, simple. Obviously, putting it into practice was like really, really, really hard. But it was very frustrating that the doctors had never spoken to me about that. They'd never asked me in a second what I've been eating. And I wasn't even putting in terribly bad foods at the time. Like I wasn't living off of like horrible foods, but I also just wasn't putting in foods that nourished me. Like I wasn't eating a lot of vegetables and I wasn't, you know, I had quite a sweet tooth back then. Like I just wasn't really putting in food that was good for my body. It's always so amazing to hear stories like that about people
1: changing their diets and having such success. And it's so great that you had that success. Let's talk about a few places a person could get started if they're looking to change their diet.
0: Well, the first thing that we want to recommend is working with a registered dietitian, especially one that is familiar with people who have food intolerances or digestive problems. Working with a professional can help you to figure out what your trigger foods are while also making sure that you're getting the protein, the fiber, the healthy fats, and the nourishing food that you need. But of course, we understand that this is a privilege and that this is not readily available to everyone. So we want to go ahead. We want to list a few ideas here. But if any of these catch your interest, definitely research into them and check with your doctor. So as a start, keeping a food journal can be really helpful. In your journal or in your app, you would write down what you ate, and then you write down your symptoms throughout the day. And then you would take that information over a week or two weeks or a month, and you would try to spot any patterns. So, like, oh, okay, every time I eat dairy, I have diarrhea a few hours later. And hopefully, that can help you pinpoint that certain foods are contributing to certain symptoms. Now, there's other people who may prefer to do some kind of elimination diet, Um, but we will say that these can be very hard to follow or very triggering for people with disordered eating. For me, food is and has been the biggest contributor to my symptoms for over a decade. But when I look at my diet, I'm not just focused on my symptoms. I'm looking at the whole picture. Yes, I'm looking at what the food does to me, right? And what symptoms different foods cause me. But I'm also looking at am I eating enough? Is the food providing me with enough nutrients? Is this way of eating leading to obsessive thought patterns or disordered eating? After I did my own elimination phase, which I think can for many of us be the hardest phase, you know, I realized that my long term everyday way of eating it needs to be something that of course is nutrient dense but it also needs to be something that i can sustain right that i can keep up with that i can do and it needs to be something that either is enjoyable for me or if it's not enjoyable then i'm neutral about it right that it's not something that i loathe every single day and i'm loathing every single time i have to cook a meal so the next thing we wanna talk about is SIBO. SIBO, SIBO, Taibo, Boto, Bohemian, Bahamas. It's wait, wait. There's a what what's a Boto? And
1: what's a Bahamas? You mean the Bahamas? Oh. Yeah, Bahama Mama. Oh wow. We went there. I don't know, but SIBO is just so like Se-bo. Sounds like a fun, rhymy <laughs> yeah, yeah. kids word. Yeah. Okay, kids, let's go get SIBO. Oh no, that. no, we don't want that.
0: What flavor's your lollipop SIBO? Oh gosh. <laughs> it's fun, right? I mean, yeah, until you till it's not. <laughs> so in the previous episode, we already talked about what SIBO, SIBO, Tybo is. <laughs> it's just SIBO, everyone. It's just SIBO.
1: <laughs> not SIBO SIBO Taibo, Just just SIBO. <laughs> I used to do a lot of
0: Taibo. Bo fun. It was. It was a very it,
1: big craze in the early 2000s. Yeah, and it, but
0: it was fun to do, and it put me in really good shape. So we're actually going to do a whole episode on gut health and the bacteria in our guts. So stay tuned for that in the next couple of months because that is coming up. And we're going to talk about the bacteria in your large intestines and your colon that is supposed to be there and how we can help that. But SIBO, SIBO, Tylo, Bahama Mama. <laughs> this is like, <laughs> like a nursery rhyme. <laughs> I think there was a fairy tale about SIBO by the Brothers Grimm, but their
1: editor <laughs> made them cut so. it out from the book. <laughs> I don't think there was. Was it named SIBO Bahama Mama? <laughs> <laughs> <Is>
0: that... <laughs> All right. So SIBO, if you remember from the previous episode, that SIBO is small intestinal bacterial overgrowth. SIBO is bacteria that grows in your small intestines, but that bacteria is really not supposed to be colonizing the small intestine. It's supposed to be down in the large intestine. Get back in your place. SIBO SIBO. You went on vacation to Bahama Mama. (laughs) And did tybo on the cruise ship. On the boat. See? Oh, brought it full circle. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. All right. So there's good news and bad news if you have SIBO. Give me the good news first. The good news is that you can do a breath test. A breath
1: test. And we're going to kill the doctor with halicebosis. <laughs> <laughs> pre-
0: I can do puns too. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I'm pretty sure you don't breathe in the doctor's face. Aww. I think you breathe into like a little machine. That but That's then- way
1: more fun. The doctor has to sniff out the, <laughs> the hydrogen and methane instead of
0: the test. <laughs> yeah. I'm pretty sure you breathe into some kind of machine. And then that machine tests the hydrogen and methane gas, like Brittany just said. So it measures the levels of those gases. In your breath. (sighs) The bad news is that, unfortunately, oftentimes these tests can show negative for SIBO when you actually have SIBO. Ugh. Come on now. So it's really a great mystery if you have SIBO or not. So there's a test, but, like, there's not a test. (laughs) But I also think the doctor could probably use the test and also do, like, a symptom evaluation as well. No, it's just one of the tools, not the only one. But, yes, to know if you have SIBO, you do the breath test. Now, let's say that the breath test comes back positive for SIBO. Then what do they do? They chop out your small intestines. Oh, God. <laughs> Just did... kidding. I need those small intestines. I need all my intestines. <laughs> Just take the large ones. <laughs> the big ones. <laughs> Just take some colon. and I'll be fine. There's extra. All right. So there's good news and bad news again. The good news is that SIBO... As a bacteria can be treated with certain antimicrobials. And some doctors have found that to be just as effective as like a traditional antibiotic medicine. The bad news give
1: it to me straight
0: SIBO, SIBO, Tybo. <laughs> so SIBO does a lot of Tybo in your small intestines and it fights off those antibiotic treatments. And so it can be very resistant, basically to antibiotics and so so it's it's worked out to tybo so much where it can fight off
1: anything that comes near it that's just i'm not okay with that (laughs) i need it to be weaker
0: a lot of people who do antibiotic treatments for SIBO need multiple rounds of antibiotics so i guess studies have shown that about half of the patients who get treated for SIBO and get rid of it have it recur within a year 50% 50% rate is not great. No. But basically, what we're saying is that if you have SIBO, you can get tested. There is treatment. But you got to be persistent. Well, luckily, if you are listening to this podcast and you have
1: endometriosis, you're already persistent. So this will not be news to you.
0: <laughs> You'd be like, oh, another round of treatment? Duh. I'm so Another in- doctor I have to convince of something? Ugh, easy. <laughs> I, I'm so used to that. I can do that. Okay, the next thing we want to talk about is reducing our inflammation.
1: Oh, our favorite thing inflammation.
0: In the last episode, we talked about inflammation. Hmm. Dreams. What endometriosis brings to our bodies. Nightmares. 24 <laughs> 7. Big swollen ball of swollen. Inflame, <laughs> inflamed. and, flame and flame. Flame <laughs> inflamed, pain inflamed. <laughs> So something that we can do is we can try to reduce our inflammation, which in turn can help our digestive problems. Some people find that an individualized version of an anti-inflammatory diet can help them with that. But there are other things that we can do to have a whole anti-inflammatory lifestyle. It's a trifecta. Ooh, there's three things come together in perfect harmony. Oh,
1: what? Food. Sleep. Ooh. And physical activity. Mm. All three form the perfect triangle of anti-inflammatory. Oh, my. So we hope. (laughs) So we strive for. The second part in the trifecta that I mentioned was sleep. Ah, beautiful sleep.
0: When we can get it. Yeah,
1: if I'm not in raging pain.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Please just let me sleep tonight. Please.
1: I hope. Just punch myself so I pass that. No, that's not real. Don't do that.
0: (laughs) We don't want to leave you hanging or anything. Hang in there like a monkey in a tree looking for bananas. Like that cat on
1: that 90s poster. Hang
0: in there. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know that poster. Oh, I'll show you later. <laughs> okay. There's so much to go into on this topic, but we're not going to talk about it today. No, I want to know now. Uh, I'm so sorry, Brittany, because <laughs> it's going to take about three hours to talk about all the tips for great sleep, why it's important, and how we get it. So we're actually going to do a four-part series on sleep. Okay, okay, it sounds worth the wait. So Brittany mentioned in her perfect trifecta (laughs) exercise, and we just want to be clear with exercise. We just really mean moving your body. So
1: not going for a like marathon. Like we're not talking about doing a triathlon.
0: Yeah, I mean if that's your thing, do like, it. Like cool. Super impressed by you. I bet for a lot of us it's not our thing because we're battling crippling fatigue. So So a, going for a walk is like more what
1: I'm capable of right now.
0: For a lot of us going out for a run, we pretty pretty hard hard pressed to be able to do that. Yeah. Like there's no way I'm running anywhere. But you know, it's just moving your body, just getting your body in motion is really good for inflammation. It's just also really good for your bowels. Like if you've ever, well, there was a time in high school before I started having endometriosis symptoms that I was on the track team. And wow. I, <laughs> this is going somewhere, wait. <laughs> wow. And I did go for long distance runs. And I think for a lot of us, when you start to do exercise, oh my God, like you just need to go to the bathroom, right? That's you're very on, true. you're going to run five miles and you're on mile three. You're in the middle of nowhere. You're like,
1: I got to go to the bathroom you were like, now.
0: Oh, I was fine. I was fine. <laughs> now I'm going, I am going. like have to go to the bathroom behind these bushes because everything's all moving in there. Yeah. It's all getting stimulated. It wants to come out. So it's just it's good to exercise and it's good to get our bodies moving. And I think in yoga, there are some poses that are like the gas release pose. Oh, yeah. And
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, when my stomach's not. Why like is it called not... the passing wind? Oh, wow. That sounds much more zen. Yeah. But it's true that when my stomach's feeling really just off or rotten, I do this thing that I, I guess would, I would call pacing, but I walk the perimeter of my living space and I like walk heel to toe and I count the steps and I do some like movements with my arms. And even though I feel horrible, like I just want to lay down and die because the nausea is so intense, it actually helps my body to move through and I, I feel better after a while. It's not instant. But after about 20 minutes, my body starts processing that and then I go to the bathroom and then I feel better. <laughs> Can we go back
0: to where you said you do things moving your – so do you mean like flapping your arms? Yeah, I try to fly away. Or, okay. <laughs> <laughs> like what kind of arm movements are we talking about I do like here? some arm
1: rotations, lifting my arms up, like some resistance movements kind of. So just that my arms are moving, my legs are moving. I often have to distract my brain because if I focus too much and that fact I don't feel good, then I feel even worse. So I do a lot of like full body, just a way to get everything moving so that my insides also get everything moving. Do you ever throw some burpees in there? Uh, no, because I would die. <laughs> I'm trying not to have
0: diarrhea and throw up all over the place. So <laughs> That would not work out well. <laughs> OK, the next thing that we want to talk about is managing your stress, because in the last episode we talked about. How stress can affect your digestion. This stresses me out. So we're actually going to make this one really short and sweet. There's
1: nothing short and sweet about stress.
0: Brittany, you need to listen to our previous (laughs) episode that you actually co-hosted where we talked. I forgot about how to manage my stress. (laughs) Uh Yeah, where we talked about. I'm feeling
1: managing. really stressed right now. Okay, it's okay. Start to... you're putting me on the spot. Look, do that thing with your arms. Start flapping okay, your okay. arms. I'm Go gonna ahead. fly away from this okay, podcast. Flap your okay. flappy, <laughs> flap your arms. You're gonna feel a little bit better. Okay, just, thank you. Everything's moving again. Just don't poo in the box. Because I
0: can't make any promises.
1: <laughs> My
0: Mushu is nigh. I can't make any promises. So we actually talked about stress and managing stress in a previous episode. So we're not gonna bore you here. I mean we ever bore you I hope guys. we don't bore you. <laughs> <laughs> <Aww>. <laughs> so we're not going to bore you here with all of those details. So I just recommend if you haven't heard that episode to go back. But just keeping in mind that managing our stress is a huge, huge factor into our digestion.
1: I mean, people in the mainstream know this. They call it stress poo. Oh, I had a presentation. I had a stress poo. Like everybody knows that this is a thing. So it's definitely a big factor in affecting your digestive system. Hold on. I'm going to
0: go have a stress poo. Then I'll be back. Okay, bye. (laughs) (laughs) Because you're stressing me out.
1: Yeah, I know. Sorry. (laughs) Next, we're going to talk about pelvic floor therapy.
0: Brittany, why on the earth are we going to talk about that when this episode is about trying to find solutions for our digestive health problems? Hmm?
1: Well, let me enlighten you. So have you ever clenched your anus to keep in your stinky farts and urgent poos
0: Ooh, if i really am honest with myself i would say that i do do a lot of anus clenching weekly. your anus probably gets a good workout from all the clenching it does all the time mm. it's like one of those chinese finger traps <laughs> you put your finger in you never can get your finger out it gets really tight on your finger that's your anus that's my anus yeah it's... put a finger in i never got the finger back <laughs> whoa <laughs>
1: Well, this leads to my next thing. TMI? (laughs) Have you ever been pushing and straining so hard while trying to poo that you popped a blood vessel in your eye and you had a red eye for a week and everybody asked you what was wrong with your eye and you couldn't tell them that it's because you pooped too hard?
0: Yes to the constipation. Yes to the pushing. Yes to the straining. Yes to popping a blood vessel in my eye. No to not telling them why because, yes, I just told them, TMI, I have a red eye because (laughs) I popped a blood vessel pooping. I mean, I told you straight to your face, but I didn't tell
1: anybody else. (laughs) So if you haven't noticed, there's two different motions we're doing there. We're doing a squeeze and a push and a clench and a release. And that's actually like muscular contractions. So if you do that over time, you actually can change your
0: muscles. Squeeze. Release. It's like a little workout for your pelvic area. Oh, so all of that repetition. Yeah, it's reps with your anus. Can weaken my muscles. (laughs) Or tighten them. Oh, God, I wonder which ones I had. Are mine weak or are mine tight or are mine perfect? They're probably not perfect. Okay, Goldilocks. (laughs) (laughs) So
1: now do you see why I brought it up? Brought what up? I forgot.
0: The pelvic floor therapy. Oh, Oh, yes, I know. I see. Brittany's so smart. She brought up pelvic floor therapy because people are squeezing or straining when they go poopies. Yes, I get it. (laughs) Okay, thank you. I wonder if my cats are straining when they go poopies. I have no idea. I don't you think should so. ask. Have them you and ever see what seen what they it? say? God, animals poop so. Do I want to say <laughs> easily, or they just poop like so so naturally, effortlessly? Don't they? Like if you go out with your dog and like you're taking your dog for a walk, he's just suddenly like, oh, I got him to, to poop. poop. <laughs> I got to poop now, and he crouches and just comes out. Like how do you get it to come out like that so fast, so easily, so naturally? I want mine to come out like that. And we just want to point out that pelvic floor therapy, like any treatment option, is not a one-size-fits-all. And it's also not, I mean, I think we've learned in this community when dealing with the medical world that not every doctor or therapist or health professional has the same level of skill, the same level of experience, the same level of familiarity with endometriosis. So it's really important that If you're going to do pelvic floor therapy, that you seek out a pelvic floor therapist that is familiar with and experienced with endometriosis in the muscular changes that endo can cause in the body and that they have that they have a high experience level and that they have the skill to really work with you. Because if they don't have all of those things, they could end up doing more harm than good. And that's just like any doctor that we see. We should always do our research and our due diligence to try to find a doctor that we really think is going to have the skills to treat a complex disease like endometriosis. So one of the things that we learned from Beating Endo from the book is that there is a pelvic floor technique called visceral mobilization, which really sounds like you're mobilizing the troops for war. Doesn't it? Mobilization? No, it sounds more like mobilizing the poops for war, <laughs> if I'm going to be honest with you. <laughs> Visceral mobilization can help with our digestive issues. Brittany. Amy. Let me ask you a series of questions. Okay, I'll give you a series of answers. To test your knowledge on the bowel. Oh, goodness. <laughs> what does the bowel do when stool passes through it? Uh, it gives me sharp stabbing pains all over my abdomen. Correct, but not the answer I'm looking for. Well, I had no guidelines. (laughs) What does the actual bowel do?
1: It stretches to make room for the
0: poo. (gasps) Yes. The bowel expands. So if the bowel expands, what does it need, Brittany? Space. Outer space? Alien space. (gasps) The aliens are coming? Yeah, aliens are SIBO. Hmm, that makes sense. (laughs) Or are they? They're foreign invaders. That do, does make do, sense. Do, 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 do. <laughs> <laughs> not outer space, just normal space. <laughs> Can you imagine the aliens doing Taibo to that music? <laughs> <laughs> like, the slowest. Are we, are we talking like gray aliens, green <laughs>
1: aliens, like lizard aliens? Like I need to know what kind of alien
0: here. <laughs> Focus, Brittany. Oh, sorry, I was thinking about poo aliens, <laughs> Paliens. <laughs> <laughs> Normally, it's not a problem for the bowels to expand because the muscles and the fascia, you remember the fascia we talked about in the last episode? It's our connective tissue sweater. Stretchy like a cat. It's made out of tissue with skin. Ugh, now I'm grossing myself out. <laughs> well, normally the muscles and the fascia can stretch and move like a cat. Cats do a
1: lot of stretching. A lot of animals in general are like, wow, look at you stretching every five minutes.
0: <laughs> They're so cute when they stretch. You know, they put their little butts in the air they Aww. put their legs in the front. Oh, so cute. Aww, and they look so adorable. Humans aren't as
1: cute when we stretch. <laughs> no.
0: <laughs> Especially when our faces stretch. Especially when we stretch and yawn at the same time. It's yeah. like, okay, hold that in. That's like, a lot going on in go one Go get moment. a private room for that. <laughs> <laughs> but when the muscles are tight and the muscles have restricted mobility, guess what happens, Brittany? Sounds like things aren't going to go so well down there. That's right. They can't move as well. And what do you think happens when the muscles and the fascia can't move, but they need to move because the bowel needs to expand, but then the bowel can't expand? What do you think happens?
1: I'm pretty sure that equates to a lot of pain and some constipation.
0: My two favorite things. So visceral mobilization is a pelvic floor technique to get things moving. Okay, Amy, now I have a question for you. Oh, God. The tables are turned. (laughs) Quiz time. And Brittany sounds so menacing. Well, you sounded menacing, so I wanted to sound menacing. Okay. (laughs) Hold on. First, I have to stretch first like a cat. All right. I'm ready.
1: (laughs) Well, good job. (laughs) So my question for you. What is
0: viscera or visceral? Well, viscera refers to the internal organs in the main cavity of the body. Not the arms, not the legs the core
1: my abdominable abdominable my (laughs) abdominal cavity it's also abominable (laughs) that's a fun word (laughs) abdominable so if you are having a really bad day and you just want to laugh at yourself just say that word a bunch (laughs) guaranteed to make you laugh So then, Amy, what is visceral mobilization? What does it do? What's the point?
0: Oh, my God, Brittany. put two and two together already so I don't have to explain every single little thing to you. You know what? I was doing you a favor by
1: setting this up and making you look smart. So if you want me to not do that anymore, I cannot do that anymore. All right.
0: I can look smart. Okay. What's visceral mobilization, Amy? (laughs) Visceral mobilization is when your viscera is mobilized.
1: Wow. Great definition, Amy. (laughs) All that talk, and that's
0: the definition you give me. To expand further on that, the way the bowel will be able to expand after it has been under the technique of viscera mobilization. Wow, you think you're so smooth. What it does is it gives back the ability to have movement to the organs, to the viscera, so that they can be unrestricted. Natural movement, like a sheet blowing in the breeze. Does that mean freedom? Yes, my organs are gonna have freedom. No, your poops oh, are going to have freedom. Oh, free the poops, but not too much freedom. They're not
1: just gonna like, yeah. We don't want like like flying out poops. Like the no, appropriate no. amount of freedom, <laughs> freed controlled freedom. <laughs> There's another technique of pelvic floor therapy that helps to work with and identify some of the trigger points in the abdomen, and essentially what that will do is release some of the tension. And this dress, kind of like a back massage, but
0: for your insides. (laughs) Ooh, releasing the tension of my insides. So it finds
1: these little trigger points and helps the abdominal organs to relax. Because they're all uptight. We need them to relax because when they're uptight, your poo doesn't come out good. When they're relaxed, it comes out better. So it works to release these trigger points and helps your muscles to relax. And when those muscles relax, then your organs are like, okay, we've got space in
0: here. And then your poo can come out better. Oh, God, I love when my poo comes out better. Okay, so oh now I'm feeling so relaxed, just like my inner muscles around my bowels and my viscera organs. But I'm wondering, how are they going to relax and manipulate and work on the muscles in my core? How are they going to work on those muscles, Brittany? How are they going to get there? Well, some of the therapy involves external, but also it can be internal as well. Internal, like they stick their fingers in my vaginal cavity? It could be that the therapist has
1: to do therapy digitally inside the vaginal cavity or even inside the anal cavity.
0: (gasps) You know. (laughs) Stick their fingers in my rectum. Yes. That's how they got to get to the muscles. So what you're telling me is that I shouldn't eat curry before I go to pelvic floor therapy. Yes, you should not have any trigger foods before you go to pelvic floor therapy. A very bland diet before I go get my digitally in my rectum. Yeah, if you're having an anus clench day, maybe cancel. (laughs) Maybe reschedule. Well, if the price to have better poo is a consensual anal massage, then yeah. I mean... I'll, I'll do take what, that. I'll pay that price. <laughs> I'll do what it takes. Okay. It's just don't make me do it on myself.
1: And, you know, we, we're joking about anal massages and fingers in our anal cavity, which can sound funny, but. It's
0: because I've had a lot of fingers <laughs> in my anal cavity. A lot cavity of scopes by in my anal cavity. But I'm talking about doctors, not like ex boyfriends <laughs> or something.
1: We've had, lo- you know, lots of things done to you. There's things, you
0: know, medical procedures. <laughs> but they were, when, when, I went to the, my, when I went to see the endo specialist and he was like, I think you should also see the gastrointestinal surgeon that he works with. That's what he told me to go see him as well because he was also going to be operating in the surgery. And so I went to see him, and I had no idea. But when I got in there, then he just, like, talked about my symptoms. and Then they, like, made me lay on the table and, like, you know, press on your abdomen. And then they had, like, a female nurse come in. And I was like, what is happening here? This can't (laughs) be good. And then he was like, now I'd like your permission to do a digital exam. I was like, huh? What? I didn't know this was going to happen. <laughs> okay. I didn't know you were going to go anywhere near my rectum. Like, I don't think I've showered today. I don't, of course, I didn't say it. These were all going through my mind. And I had had curry. Oh, oh no. Homemade lamb curry. Danger. really good. But I was like, oh, God, please no. But it didn't hurt or anything. So.
1: Well, I think it can be scary if you've never experienced that before. And it's very vulnerable. But when you're with a medical professional, especially with a pelvic floor therapist, they should be telling you what they're going to be doing in your therapy and explaining to you the purpose of that technique, what they're going to be doing, especially if they're going to be doing internal therapy. And when the therapist is doing therapy with you, they will
0: need to ask for your permission to perform any internal work. So what you're saying is I, sh- I won't just be like laying there and be pressing on my abdomen and then be like boop.
1: There's a finger in my butt. Yeah, no. If they do that. Like a surprise (laughs) Yeah, if there's a surprise digital exam. Okay. (laughs) Nobody wants surprises. A surprise (laughs) anal mobilization. Yeah, nobody (laughs) wants that. But if that were to happen, it's definitely something you need to address with a therapist. And potentially, it may be appropriate for you to seek a different therapist. But just really the point is that any time there's any internal work being done in those areas... Consent is always required on behalf of the medical professional, and they have to ask you for permission.
0: Next, we want to give some tips for constipation. Constipation
1: station, (laughs) where I stop monthly.
0: (laughs) Who doesn't love being constipated? Cricket. 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 (laughs) (laughs) So these are things we've already mentioned this episode, but basically always comes back down to what are you eating? Because definitely there are certain foods that can make constipation worse. Of course, it's different for everyone. So there's, I think, a lot of trial and error, just like everything that has to do with endometriosis and digestive problems. But it can be good to have food that have a higher water content. So just things naturally like vegetables and fruits can help you have a better digestion if you're prone to constipation than foods that are very starchy or heavy carbs like pasta or chips or cookies. There are a lot of foods that, well, first of all, if you ever do an experiment where you eat different foods. So for example, if you eat all whole foods and minimally processed foods for a week with very little ultra processed foods, see how you poo and also see what your poo smells like. And then. <laughs> you're telling me to sniff my poo. <laughs> <laughs> no, don't sniff it up close. I mean, you're going to smell it when it comes out unless you wear a clothespin on your nose. Ow. <laughs> <laughs> but, like, if you ever, like, for me, okay, I'm going to share here that.
1: You share something
0: with the group? <laughs> <laughs> okay. It's sharing time with Amy. It's sharing time. Okay. I don't have very stinky poos. Wonderful. Well, okay. First of all, if you go to. They have you... a smell. <laughs> if you go to if you go to acupuncture, like my acupuncturist used to ask me, she'd be like, how did your, how was your poo? Was it stinky? Did it reek? Like (laughs) Uh... (laughs) she wanted to know about how my poo was, how hard it was, what it smelled like, if it floated. I mean, she asked a lot of very important questions. I had to really track my poo and it was helpful because it could help her figure out what was going on in my body. Right. And so I have noticed that I really don't have stinky poo, except if I, okay, I really like chips, and I don't usually eat chips, but sometimes I'll just sour be like. Sour cream and onion is her demon.
1: <laughs> oh, my God. Sometimes <laughs> Cheese
0: like, and sour cream and onion are Amy's two
1: kryptonites in this world.
0: <laughs> but I don't eat cheese because it makes me really sick. But sometimes <laughs> I do eat the chips because I don't really notice, like, a really bad effects. So I'm like, okay, I'll just, like, eat a bag of chips.
1: And they're always sour cream and onion.
0: So if I eat a bag of sour cream and onion chips, then I notice that my poo is one, much harder, like it's like a harder poo, it's harder to come out, so I get more constipated, and two, when I do poo, it's really stinky. Now you
1: know all about my bathroom habits. Yeah, now every I'm never gonna look at sour cream and onion chips the same way again. Everyone's clicked off. They're like, "Oh my god!" Wow, she, she sniffs st- her poo. <laughs> okay, first of all, this is an episode about bowel disturbance. I mean, what did you, you when you started what you it? You know, you
0: signed you, up for. Okay? okay, like you must have suspected.
1: We were gonna talk about poo. You, I mean, they've been here long enough. They know how often we talk about Should've poo. come with a warning, but
0: but what I want to say is. If you pay attention to how you eat and how your poo goes, I think we can often see that what we eat affects the way we poo. And what we eat affects if we're more constipated, if we have diarrhea, and how stinky our poo is.
1: So, thank you so much, Amy, for letting us all know that you have perfect poo and it smells like roses (laughs)
0: and petunias. Perfect. Ooh, roses would be a good way to describe that smell. I was trying to put my finger on it. Yeah,
1: Okay. Uh, <laughs> all right. That's taking it a bit far. <laughs> You're the one who said it smelled like roses. I think it probably still it's smells like, like you, poo. It's but like, like you've been like in the bathroom with me. Mild poo. Okay. I've done a lot of things with you post-surgery, okay? <laughs> I've, I've seen some stuff, okay? <laughs> No, but all, all jokes aside. Well, sorry I was so sick post-surgery <laughs> that I was unable to do a lot of things for myself. Well, I, I can not attest That's that. That's what recovery is for. Yeah. Okay. All right. I'll give it to you. So if you struggle with constipation, either during certain times of the month or just it's something that you struggle with, there's a couple of foods that are really great helps to constipation. One, eating things like smoothies or soups, which are great in the winter months. Or juicing can all help add moisture to your poo's content, which stops it from binding up. Poo content. (laughs) That's real content. That's the content that people want. Poo content. I think I'll start posting that kind of content on our Instagram page. Poo
0: content. Well, what's nice about soups and smoothies and juices is that the food is pre-digested. Oh, yes it is. It's, it's halfway done. Mechanical digestion's been done by the blender. Mhm. Thank you.
1: Incorporating these things into your regular diet rather than waiting until you're constipated to do it is a better approach than just being like, "Okay, nothing's coming out, and I'm going to eat a whole jar of prunes." <laughs> like eating things like the more moisture high foods and prunes too. In a preventative manner throughout the month, can be more beneficial to maintaining a regular bowel movement versus trying to eliminate an issue once it's already started. So,
0: prevention is better than being reactive to the situation. A lot of people take magnesium citrate, which helps them be regular. So, that's something that you could research into. Something to be aware of,
1: though, however, is the use of laxatives. So laxatives can be helpful in some really extreme cases, but what happens with the regular use of laxatives is that our bodies actually rely on the laxative to do the work and they get lazy. They get dependent. Lazy muscles. I mean, it makes sense. If a muscle isn't having to do its regular job, then it doesn't perform its regular job. So Repeated and frequent use of laxatives can cause more harm in the long term because then our bodies don't remember how to do what they were made to do. So be careful with the use of laxatives.
0: What about drinking more
1: water? Yeah, that's a great idea because adding moisture and water to your body can help loosen and soften your stool. And if you're having the converse, a
0: lot of diarrhea,
1: it will help to rehydrate you after losing all of that hydration.
0: Okay, something else I want to mention for constipation or just having perhaps a better bowel movement than you're already having is to use a squatty potty. So the squatty potty has become kind of popular recently. It's more widely accepted. (laughs) The squatty potty is something that you can buy that basically elevates your knees above your hips so that it's like you're in a squatting position on the toilet. If you don't want to get a squatty potty, you can use like books or garbage cans, like mini, mini cans, (laughs) boxes. (laughs) But basically when you sit on the toilet, it actually kinks the puborectalis muscle. It can make it harder for your poo to actually come out. That sounds counterintuitive. Because that muscle, the puborectalis, I mean, can we just say that? Puborectalis That's a lot of words. Muscle. <laughs> That's a pretty cool name. I'm going to name my next No, you're not. Pet. No, you're not. No, you're not. Puborectal-
1: <laughs> come here, puborectalis. <laughs> I think you like it because it sounds similar to like T-Rex, like there's the rect part in it, but no, you're not allowed to do that. I
0: like the talus part. It <laughs> sounds like Talisman. Talisman. <laughs> I knew where you were going. (laughs) But basically, that squatting position can be really helpful to get your poo out. Can I say two things about this? One, the squatty potty is a very typical bathroom. When I lived in Japan, they either had like really fancy, amazing bathrooms, like you would go in the bathroom and it have curtains and Candles and perhaps a TV screen with whales swimming that you could watch. Whoa. Yeah. I mean, (laughs) how long you gonna be in there for? (laughs) Just do your business and leave. Toilets were amazing. There were like toilets were either amazing in Japan, like just toilets were just so amazing. Or conversely, there was the squatty potty. So when you went into the public toilet, like especially in the train stations, there was no. So not a squatty potty, just a hole in the ground. Yeah, but with – I mean, you put your feet on it. And then there was usually like a pole. It's like the OG squatty potty. (laughs) There was usually a pole that you could hold on to so that, one, you didn't fall on the squatty potty. And, two, (laughs) it could help you get up afterwards if you had poor knees. But, yeah, that was like the typical toilet. And, wow, let me tell you, when you go to the bathroom in a squatty potty, I mean, yeah. the It comes (laughs) out. (laughs) The pure erectile (laughs)
1: is – it's free rain. It's just like, and this is the prime position for millennia. We have been pooing in this position. We're ready. Your muscles
0: know. And it just, whoop, right on out. I think that toilet, like the actual act of sitting on a toilet, is a fairly recent invention in the history of humanity. If you are having trouble, something that I recommend is that you just squat down, not to poo, but you just like get in a squatting position and then you can like hang out in a squatting position. Like maybe you can read your book or maybe you can listen to this podcast and you just sit in a squatting position. And often, especially if it's like early in the morning, which is when the body clock, their circadian rhythm is more apt to want to have a bowel movement. Right after when you first get up, that can really help get your poo moving towards the anus and past the puborectalis muscle and out and ready. And then you're like, oh, my God, it's coming. And then you go sit on the toilet and then it comes out. And that is my quick tip for any... <laughs> for a cheap and easy squatty potty. <laughs> well, you know how I know about that is because I love to. Is this another personal time with Amy? <laughs> <laughs> personal time with Amy. It's time to tell a story about camping. And pooing. <laughs> but I love to go camping. And I love, especially we go to one campsite very frequently where they have a river. And I love to squat on the riverside, on the bank of the river. And collect stones that then I glue together to look like zen balancing stones. Anyways, every single time that I squat down and I'm in the squatting position for like 10, 15 minutes because I'm looking at the stones and examining them and collecting them. Literally, like after about 15 minutes out of nowhere, I'm like, I have. The time is nigh. I have to (laughs) go. It is now. Right now. And it happens every time. And it happens to the people that I'm with, too. Not like at the same time. like, like the. Reverse. But if they are also squatting. But if they're, yeah, then all just suddenly they're like, ooh, I'll be right back. I have to go to the bathroom. You're like, I know. <laughs> like, your puborectalis muscle is no longer kinked. Yes, there's a technical term for that. So that can be really helpful.
1: Something else you can do to help make your bowels and colon happy is the ILU colon massage. Just like we like to be massaged, so does our colon. If it needs a little extra TLC, give it an ILU. <laughs> it sounds like an infomercial. The ILU massage is the outside. There's so many
0: acronyms in this episode.
1: <laughs> so many letters. And mentions of poo.
0: We're so sorry if you're listening. You're like, oh my god, That's a lot.
1: But I think you kind of suspected you were going to we get they are talking a lot about
0: poo. That's because poo is really important.
1: It is. It tells us a lot of things. So if you're interested in doing that, which can be really beneficial to help get things going and moving through the system, there's a lot of really great videos about techniques and how to do it on the wonderful world of the Internet.
0: Next, we want to talk about the converse of constipation. We want to talk about diarrhea. Everyone's common friend. One of my favorite, mm, not really, things <laughs> <Lies>. <laughs> that I've lived with for a really long time, like over a decade and it's a has been my lifelong friend. <laughs> Ever since
1: I learned to drive. I remember living with <laughs> diarrhea since I turned nine years old and learned what celiac was. <laughs> it's been my bosom buddy since. <laughs>
0: So often when you tell the doctor that you have diarrhea, they'll tell you the very blankets phrase. Eat more fiber. Bulk up your stool. Well, we just want to say that in Chris Cresser's book, Heal Your Gut, he talks about fiber and he talks a little bit about this. So this is pretty common, like everywhere you look, I mean, on the Internet. And everyone's, eat more fiber, eat more fiber. Now, your Nana may give you good
1: advice about chewing food, but not all of her advice is good. She's telling you to eat more fiber. Well, Nana never told me that. Pulse. The internet told me that. <laughs> My Nana may have told me that.
0: And you got to be careful what you read on the internet. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. But what I love about Chris Cresser and the book, for example, is he really goes into detail about... What does it mean in your body when you eat more fiber? So he says that fiber is not this blanket thing. Like, not all fiber is the same. Did you know that there's actually two types of fiber? Go ahead, Brittany. Name them. Oh, on the spot.
1: Okay. um, Fiber and fibery fiber.
0: Did I get it right? Wrong. <coughs> oh, well, I've never taken fiber. I don't know. Well, first of all, that's a good point because a lot of times when they say have more fiber and then they recommend, like when I was having a lot of diarrhea, the doctor recommended me a fiber, like a powdered fiber. In like very, a jar? Yeah. like have seen that before. Very common brand of fiber, but it just made me have a lot of gas and it didn't really help me with the diarrhea. And maybe that's because I actually needed to add in the fiber more slowly to try to avoid digestive upset. Maybe I needed to intake more water while I was taking more fiber. Maybe I could have tried different fiber powders on the market because there is not just one. But alas, I was given no instruction (laughs) and I did not know any of that at the time. So yeah, major fail. And then I tried to eat more dietary fiber without understanding that there's different types of fiber. Not fiber and fibery fiber. You were so close, (laughs) Brittany. You were so close because they're soluble and insoluble. See, I know some things. Yes. (laughs) Yes, Brittany. But basically, soluble fiber can soothe the gut, but insoluble fiber can inflame the gut. So if we're trying to heal our gut, but then we're just eating insoluble fiber because we think all fiber is equal, then we can actually be. Inflaming. I love when doctors
1: tell us things, but don't actually like tell us all the thing. So and then, just like eat fiber, and you're like, okay. And then you eat fiber, and it doesn't help you because they didn't tell you about soluble and insoluble fiber, and you don't know when insoluble fiber is found. And then like, you go back and like, i fiber.
0: And then you go wait, and then you go back, and you're like, I'm eating fiber, <laughs> but I'm not feeling better. And like, well, that's on your head at this
1: point. And it must be something else. We're gonna do another colonoscopy and find nothing and until you your insides look great, and then we're gonna blame it on you. Like, <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> all right. If you just
0: gave me all the tools, I probably could do a better job. If you just told me there were two kinds of fiber, and I'm probably <laughs> eating the one which is inflaming the gut, it would solve so many problems. Not healing the gut, but I didn't know that.
1: So always do your own research.
0: <laughs> so every time I think I'm healing the gut, I'm actually hurting my gut, making it a worse. <laughs> so Chris Cresser in his book Healing the Gut, he gives tips on eating fiber. So he talks about, for example, you can eat insoluble fiber with soluble fiber. So you can eat them together or you can cook insoluble fiber really well and you shouldn't eat insoluble fiber on an empty stomach or eat it raw. Oh, I think it would help to mention what insoluble fiber is. Yes, please tell us. Tell me, Brittany, do you know? I know that insoluble
1: fiber can be found in a lot of vegetables, like broccoli stalks
0: mm-hmm.
1: and the skin.
0: Oh, and the seeds.
1: Yes. See, I know what at least one of them was. And do you know what it's
0: known as colloquially among the cool fiber kids? Yes, as my nanny used to call it. Roughage. Eat your roughage. <laughs> <laughs> eat your rough. I mean, that just doesn't sound good. That doesn't sound Grandma, my tummy hurts. Eat your roughage. Eat, eat your roughage. <laughs> mm, I don't wanna sure eating something that goes in like a Brillo pad. In my <laughs> doesn't sound is good. Not really gonna help me. Well, the doctor said eat your fiber, so you better eat eat your, your roughage. Fiber. <laughs> but guess what? You can do when you eat your insoluble fiber to help it. I think
1: I could guess this one from Nana's first favorite tip of chewing my food.
0: Yes. That Britney. mechanical digestion. You can chew it really well, or you can have the blender or food processor chew it for you oh, by yeah. using it in soups and smoothies. But basically, you want to get all that insoluble fiber broken down before it passes into your intestines and wreaks havoc. So, insoluble fiber is called insoluble fiber because your body can't digest it. So to
1: summarize, it might be helpful to eat more fiber, but probably not so much those powders with all the additives. And regarding fiber in foods, we can look up what foods have more insoluble fiber and perhaps eat less of those because they can irritate the gut, but instead eat more of the
0: foods with soluble fibers. And fiber is more than soluble and unsoluble fiber. There's also fermentable and unfermentable fiber. And then there's other types of fiber. And most Americans are not eating enough fiber. And fiber, fiber is good not only for our gut health, but it's also associated with other health benefits as well. So foods like fruits, vegetables, beans, nuts, and seeds all have fiber. But different types of fiber may cause GI upset for some people. People like Brittany and I. Digestive disturbances. So we need to figure out what works best for us as individuals. And so sometimes I think if we are having gut problems, we might need to eat less vegetables. Which I know goes in contrary to like, but we should always be eating more vegetables. But different solutions are needed for different situations. Maybe if we are eating a lot of vegetables, then we need to take those extra steps when eating them to really break them down in our bodies. Otherwise, with insoluble fiber, we can have digestive disturbances, especially bloating. Big old endo belly in there. Oh, yeah. I tried
1: the raw food diet for like five minutes. It was like a month, but But it's chock full of a ton of raw vegetables, fruits, nuts. you mean chock full of insoluble fiber. Yeah, basically, it's just like an insoluble fiber bomb in your gut. So, guess what that did to my gut? Um, hello maternity clothes. Yeah, made it look like I was <laughs> pregnant.
0: <laughs> that's a lot of bloat. <laughs> At this point, we have mentioned a lot of tips and we've also mentioned a lot of things that <laughs> for you to go research and investigate. But that's just because Like, even though in spite of all that we talked about, I feel like we really only scratched the surface in terms of our gut health because it's honestly, it is so complex and fascinating. And guess what? What? Soon, we're going to do an episode on gut
1: health, the bacterias in your gut and your microbiome. Woohoo! Because the bacteria are what's in our guts breaking down our food. So they play an enormous role in our gut health.
0: Well, why don't you just talk about it today, Brittany, why all this dangle-dangle in my face? We're going to do an episode about gut health, but we're not actually going to do it now. Because it's a topic that deserves more time and respect and attention, Amy. Fine.
1: Agreed. And in that episode on gut health, we're going to touch on overall digestion, the microbiome, intermittent fasting, contaminants in our water, fermented foods. There's so much to talk about. I want to make it its own thing.
0: What you're telling me is that there's even more things that we can do to help our digestive health apart from everything that we said today because we said a lot of stuff today. Like my Mm -hmm. head is spinning from how much stuff we said today.
1: Yeah. Don't worry if you're feeling overwhelmed or a lot a bit overwhelmed. I'm overwhelmed. (laughs) It's pretty normal. Oh, thank goodness. I mean, Amy and I were both overwhelmed when we started figuring out how to deal with our digestive symptoms. And sometimes we're still overwhelmed when something new pops up suddenly. Histamine's. Or just randomly, and you're like, okay, now I have to figure out how to tackle this with one of the tools that I have. So if you feel overwhelmed, that's okay. The important thing to know is that starting with one thing isn't overwhelming. So just pick one thing to start with, and that's all you need to do. You don't have to do everything at once. Just starting at what sounds easiest for you can help you to get a hold on that and then add
0: another tool on top of that. For example, did anything jump? out at you today? Did you like the idea of maybe every morning after you get up, you're going to squat down for 20 minutes and read your book in the squatting position, getting your puborectalis muscle unkinked and ready to start the day?
1: Or maybe you're going to work on your trifecta, making sure your diet's locked in, making sure you're getting those seven to nine hours of sleep, And not forgetting to get your body in motion, whether that be walking around the perimeter of your living space, doing some yoga, whatever it can be to get your body moving and your digestion flowing just right.
0: Perhaps eating more prunes all month long for that pesky constipation. (laughs) I think there's so many small steps that we can take. And we can just make these little changes and then eventually these little changes will add up and then we can move on to another change. And, you know, we can just keep adding on these new things and our knowledge is going to grow. So it's okay if right now you feel like all of this is scary and overwhelming or like you're just like, Oh my God, I had no idea my gut was so important. And now there's all these things I can do and I don't know what to do. Just look at doing one thing.
1: So remember that the goal of these tips is not 100%. As we know, none of these tips can actually heal endometriosis, but all of these tips can help to manage severe symptoms and also an improvement in our quality of life.
0: I think that's really important to mention because... You can do all of these tips, and you can do all of the things quote unquote correctly, and you can still have bowel disturbances and digestive problems. It's really good to try to heal the gut as we can, but if we are not able to feel a hundred percent better, like Brittany said, we shouldn't be angry at ourselves for that. we shouldn't judge ourselves for that or hate ourselves for that or think we're not doing a good enough job because endometriosis it's a really tricky beast and endometriosis really does affect our body in so many ways and cause so much inflammation that has a profound effect on our health if you're trying these tips we think that is wonderful and we're so proud of you for taking steps to empower yourself to research you know to take your health in your hands to try to feel better All of these things are worth investigating
1: and trying out because you never know which one or which some of them or which combination is going to potentially bring you relief. So don't be discouraged if you try something and it doesn't work for you. It could be a combination of multiple things. All of these things can just help your gut to be better and function better and help you to feel better. And that's really the point that both Amy and I have done a lot of these things and they have made us feel so much better than we were three, five, ten years ago. And that's ultimately what we want for you.
0: It's always been worth taking action and putting one foot in front of the other because the changes can be very slow, but over time we make progress and our bodies do heal and we do start to feel better. So thank you so much for listening today. We hope that some of these tips could help you. And if so, we would love to hear what has been working for you. We'd love to hear if you... Have really stinky poo after we eat sour cream and onion <laughs> potato chips? Might just be you. <laughs> We'd love to hear what foods make your poo really stinky. Wow. That's the question we're going to leave them with. <laughs> oh, my with. gosh. And then okay. I have all these Instagram.
1: <laughs> <laughs> we have all these DMs about like, it's ex food. It's I have all food. the DMs
0: about the BMs. <laughs>
1: Oh, wow. Yeah, we need to leave. (laughs) I'm out
0: of (laughs) here. So if you do want to DM me about your BM, then... We'd love to read it. (laughs) Go ahead. We are on Instagram at In16YearsOfEndo, and we're also on the website In16Years.com. If you love the podcast, please go ahead and leave us a review, and you can also check out our support page if you'd like to, quote-unquote, buy us a coffee and make a contribution to the podcast. Thanks so much for listening, everyone. Bye.